from the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for kicking off your week with a little bit of EWTN's open line on this Monday. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we've got a number for you. That number is one 205-271-2985. And if you're outside the United States and Canada, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com, or you can text your question, text the letters EWTN, to 55000, wait for a response, text your first name and your question, message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Charles Beery, producing the program today. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, magnificent person, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he sort of is on most Mondays, Father John Tregilio, between my schedule and your schedule and your <laughs> cardiologist, we haven't been together in like forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's good, though, right? As far as I know. Okay, very good. Awesome. <laughs> so, Father John, I think we're going uh, we're gonna, to we're gonna hold some of these emails, uh, okay. if it's okay with you, uh, until a little bit later in the program, because we've had a couple of your adoring fans that have held mm. on from the previous program <laughs> uh, just to talk with okay. uh, Father Tregilio. So I want to I want to reward their uh, perseverance by getting uh-huh. to them right off the bat here in the first segment. And the first of those is Suzanne, and she is in Morgantown, West Virginia, and now she is gone. How about Ooh. that? So much for rewarding her, right? She got raptured. <laughs> yeah, something happened there. Let's go to Michael instead. He's in Wildwood, New Jersey, listening to EWTN. Michael, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you. Thank you, Father. My question is, um, I'm a devout Catholic. I love my church. Uh, but my, my understanding of the Catholic position is that people outside the church, you know, are not condemned. They're, 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 uh, they, they have a, um, a, a way of salvation. But if they reject the teaching of the church and they're told the teaching of the church, then that can, you know, be um, difficult for them. So as a Catholic that deals a lot with evangelicals, especially uh, some of the um, ex-Catholics who have issues like blaming the church for previous sins and not owning up to their own responsibilities, um, when I talk to them about, I'm hesitant now to talk to them about the truth of the church because I feel like I'm instrumental in their condemnation mm-hmm. so I well, don't well that's a very natural uh question that to to come to uh first of all we make a distinction between the church as it is in herself 
founded by Christ. He said in Matthew 16, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I, Jesus, will build my church. So he used the word church, he instituted the, the church, he founded it on the rock of Peter, so that's very explicit. Now we make a distinction between the church as the bride of Christ, um, indefectible, but also a distinction between that and the individual members. And that includes individual popes. So we can go back to the Middle Ages, uh, Renaissance, and yes, there were some despicable popes uh, in the past who um, you know, violated every uh, commandment you can imagine, but they never taught an erroneous teaching and expected to be binding in faith and morals on all the faithful. If they were personally um, immoral and decrepit, that was on their conscience, and certainly, you know, the just uh, God would, was going to make sure that uh, that's taken care of either in this life or the next. But the gift, the charism of papal infallibility only extends uh, to the Pope when he teaches as universal pastor and teacher of the universal church. He must make that explicit. And we have no instance where the Pope imposed a false teaching. There were instances where the Pope's uh, prudential judgments were not the best, and some of them were actually bad. Uh, but when you compare the 260-some uh, uh, Popes we've had through history, about a dozen were really bad, horrible ones, and then we've had some, uh, like maybe three times as many, uh, three dozen um, saintly ones who were recognized <coughs> as saints, and the rest were in the middle, okay? Uh, I put that up against any other uh, government or institution. Now, the belief that one is um, accountable uh, for what the church teaches, if someone studies, knows, uh, looks at the teachings of the church, and freely, deliberately rejects Christ and his Catholic church, they're held liable. But, as Fulton J. Sheen used to often say, 90-some percent of those people who reject Christ and reject the church are rejecting not what the church truly is or what Jesus truly is, but what they believe he is. So it's an er erroneous position, position that they have. And the question comes in, if was is this invincible ignorance or is this studied or uh, supine, crass ignorance? Only God can tell. But there's a document, Dominus Jesus, that explains very clearly we still believe outside the church there's no salvation, but the only people who are going to be condemned, so to speak, are those who know, they know with certitude in their heart and mind that uh, Jesus founded the church, they need to belong, they need to accept, and they freely reject that. If they reject a caricature of the church, what they think the church is because they've been told uh, a false image, uh, they're not liable for that um, if, there, if, if there was no way that they could have found out the truth and they purposely uh, did not, um, I mean, if they re rejected deliberately, they're held accountable. So when you're talking to people who are not Catholic, we say, yes, people are saved who may not even know uh, that they're being saved if in good conscience. This is what the Vatican Council taught, and this is in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, you know, this is the idea of, of, of uh, baptism of desire, uh, membership by desire. Uh, people don't realize this. It's only those people who overtly, deliberately, willingly uh, reject Christ and the Catholic faith. 
I've got great news, Father Trujillo. Suzanne is back in oh, Morgantown, <laughs> West Virginia. She is listening on the EWT app, Su- EWTN app. Suzanne, welcome to the program. You're on with Father John. Oh, thank you, Father John, for taking my call. <laughs> thanks um, thanks my for coming son- back. <laughs> okay, I'm so, I don't know what happened. Okay, my question is, if Jesus is God and Jews worship God, why is this not adequate for their salvation? Okay, well, they, they believe in God. We believe in God. Um, you know, Christians, Jews, Muslims, you know, we all have a monotheistic religion. We believe in God. Christianity, though, is distinct from the other two because uh, we believe in a triune God. And uh, uh, Judaism is, you know, our found. I mean, we came from Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. Mary was a Jew. Joseph was a Jew. Um, but he established the Christian religion okay, uh, as a completion, because that's the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And in the very beginning, Christians were considered a part of Judaism, but then uh, we, we parted ways, uh, that, you know, when the Temple of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, the, the Jewish leaders sort of um, expelled Christianity. Um, but I've had a number of Jewish um, converts come into the Catholic faith, through RCIA, and you know what we do is we don't say to them, "Oh, well, you you were wrong all these years." We just said that you know you're in, you've completed your faith journey, and here's the fullness of 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 truth, the fullness of grace. You have the full revelation, sacred scripture and sacred tradition. We have all seven sacraments. So if we show them that this is a progression. Uh, that's the beauty of it. It's not this this idea that well we're right and you're wrong, but that we have the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace. Does that help, Suzanne? Yes, thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. We appreciate the phone call. We're just getting started here on a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Marjorie in the great state of Iowa, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. The number to be on the program is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear your question today. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, if you're looking for a trusted source for your Catholic news or news around the globe from a Catholic perspective, the National Catholic Register has both print and online editions. You can actually log on to their website, EWTNRC.com, and get a special offer where you can get six free issues of 
the print edition with a uh, subscription. And then, as I said, plenty of content online as well as at EWTNRC.com. And you can even have uh, National Catholic Register content dropped in your inbox. Just go to EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next up is Marjorie in the great state of Iowa watching on uh, EWTN television today. Marjorie, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Okay. My question is uh, in uh, Matthew chapter uh, chapter 27, verse... 50 and 51 and 52 and 53 where Jesus was crucified he gave up the ghost and the graves the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and there came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many okay now there was a resurrection at that time I just want your view on that yes uh, that was a way in which God sort of um, affirmed Jesus' resurrection, that he was the Lord of life and death, that these uh, dead were raised up. Now, um, that wasn't part of the general resurrection that will occur at the end of time. Uh, These people who were uh, raised from the dead, so to speak, um, their bodies uh, did not go to heaven. Only Jesus and the Virgin Mary have their bodies now in heaven. Those people... You know, it doesn't explain in Scripture what happened to them. Uh, they didn't go back to their normal lives um, because if they were resurrected, if they were glorified, their their bodies would not die. Um, if it was non-glorified, it could have been like Lazarus because remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but then he died again, okay? Lazarus is not still walking this earth. Those people who were raised up uh, when Jesus rose uh, and, and during the triduum there, that was just like uh, an affirmation, a divine miracle to show that Jesus not only himself raised, uh, rose from the dead, but that he affected their, uh, their resurrection, so to speak. So it was, uh, it was certainly, it truly happened. It was a miraculous occurrence, but it's not the, the glorification or the resurrection uh, to a glor- glorified body, which will only happen at the end of time. <clears throat> Thanks a lot, Margie. We appreciate the phone call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Unfettered access to a seminary professor with all your questions about the Catholic (laughs) faith. 833-288-3986. Next up is Mary in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, listening on uh, KMMK Radio there in Cedar Rapids. Mary, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Tregilio. Hi. Hey, um, I have a question. That I've been pondering this for some time, and I just really love archaeology and that sort of thing and natural sciences and stuff. I was wondering, is there any connection to um, the Temple Judah, it's a, it's a scripture, about seven hundred or sorry, seventy seventy uh, AD that the the temple uh, becomes ruined. Is there any connection between that and Mount Vesuvius erupting? Which uh, happened about Yeah, there's no direct connection, 
I don't even think, I mean, if anything, it's a coincidence. Um, the destruction of the temple was done uh, by the Romans in retribution to what they considered to be uh, in resurrection, I mean, um, you know, uh, revolutionary ideas going on. And as a consequence of the Romans destroying the temple of Jerusalem, then uh, the Jewish leaders, as I said before, expelled the, the Christians because they, 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 they thought the Christians instigated this, this process. Now, Vesuvius, um, it went off. Uh, that was a natural occurrence. The Romans did not cause it or instigate it, and so it, there was no real connection. I mean, the only way you could see a connection is to say, well, you know, it was part of God's permissive will that, you know, the laws of nature took place. But um, those are two distinct separate events. Prevention part to their home therapy. I'm going to see if you're okay. Hello? Gone or whatever, you know, if it's kind of that vicinity, I don't know. But, I, you know, I just thought it was interesting when I learned that it was about the same time that that happened. It's like, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, you know, uh, Haley's Comet came by and a lot of things were coincidental. Um, there's not always a cause and effect relationship. There are things coincidental which you know some people again metaphysically speaking if god's permissive will doesn't kick in things don't happen but there's a difference between his ordained will his permissive will and so when these things happen earthquakes uh floods uh comets whatever uh he allows those things to happen because it's the course of nature but then you have a direct willed event like the incarnation of jesus's resurrection and ascension okay thank you Eight EWTN is our toll-free number. Uh, one open phone line for you at 833-288-3986. Um, Alan is in Ashburn, Wisconsin, and he is listening on the Amazon Echo today. Alan, welcome to the program. You're on with Father John. Oh, great. Glad to uh, talk to you. Uh, I've been reading, um, you know, mystics and books of the saints, and um there's, I think there's six saints that uh, were given visions of, of hell. And I remember one saint specifically was saying she was surprised how many Protestants were in hell. Give me a call back. Because, um, they were once part of the church. And uh, the other large group were people who were non-believers. And so I guess my question is, I mean, do you have to be Catholic to uh, get into heaven? Uh, uh, I guess that's, that's the extent of my question. <laughs> okay. Well, I like to. I mean, I'm glad you asked the question. I want to make a real quick point here. Uh, those are private revelations. So, one is a. I mean, as a Catholic, you do not have to believe in those visions. I'm not saying they didn't occur. Uh, they were. I mean, many of those visions, if not all of them, were were truly happened. But in terms of faith uh, and, and and revealed faith, public revelation ended with the death of Saint John. So, all these um, private revelations, even the uh, apparitions of Lourdes and Fatima. Uh, as a Catholic, you do not have to believe in them. I certainly do, but you're not a bad Catholic if you if a particular private revelation, because private revelation cannot contradict public revelation. Now, you do not have to be a card-carrying Catholic in the sense like Father Feeney had maintained when he was alive, and then he recanted before he before he passed away, that one had to be a, belong to a Catholic parish or a Catholic diocese. Um, if through no fault of your own you do not know that the Catholic Church is the true Church founded by Christ, and you're you didn't you're not liable for that rejection because you're you know you have inf insufficient information. Um, 
But the fact is, everyone who is in heaven, you can't be in heaven and not know that Jesus is truly Christ, the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. You can't be in heaven and not know that he founded the church. So in one sense, you could say those who people who are in heaven are Catholic, but not necessarily everyone in heaven was, was Catholic when they got in there, okay? Um, because we're not saying that Catholic, heaven is only for Catholics to get them in, because there's always, you know, churches always maintain that there is a way in which non-Catholics, non-believers who through no fault of their own, and that's the key there, uh, can still be saved. But once you're there, you're in the possession of the truth, it's like, you know, you can't, you know, you know there's like, like separate, there's not Catholic heaven, Protestant heaven, Jewish heaven, and, and so forth. Does that help? Um, so the, the Catholic Church it was the only church uh, for what, 1,054 years, and 500 years later, Martin Luther started splitting up the church. And, and then from there, you have, you know, dozens and dozens of religious people who once believed, you know, it mm-hmm. was the Catholic faith, but went off. So would those yes. be people that once believed, but by, now that's not through no fault of their own. They made a conscious decision to leave the church and start and believe in a different religion. Yeah, only only God would know what was in their mind and heart. But certainly, like uh, the, the ones who overtly, I mean, like Martin Luther, Swingley, Huss, um, you know, Henry VIII, they knew what they were doing uh, when they separated themselves uh, from Holy Mother Church and from the, the apostolic succession of St. Peter and the popes. They knew what they're doing. Now, subsequent generations, again, um, we have making that distinction between what's considered invincible ignorance where someone either doesn't know they don't know or they're given inaccurate or not the full information uh that's why you know we do not say well these people are all damned they're 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 lost no because there's a possibility that because saint augustine makes it clear god gives everyone sufficient grace to be saved it's efficacious for those who cooperate with it 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number that's the number mike used in cincinnati ohio Listening on Sacred Heart Radio, Mike. How about those Bengals? Yahoo day. <laughs> what happened to my Browns? I want to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to go back to the '40s to find the answer yeah, to that question, you. Father John. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Very good. Uh, hey, I, just a quick question today about uh, typology. How do we know, Father, that the that the gospel writer just did not? look at the Old Testament and write the Gospels based off of that, you know, just to make Christ fulfill their narrative mm-hmm. of fulfillment of the Old Testament rather than, than you know... I mean, how do we know that the events that are listed in, in those Gospels just aren't, you know, just lifted from, yes. uh, from what they had at their disposal? Well, that was a theory that came around, you know, a couple centuries ago. When I was in the seminary, we had some crackpot theologians who were telling us the same thing, that basically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, they were into this uh, Boltmann demythologization of the scriptures. None of the miracles actually happened. Uh, the, the gospel writers, um, you know, St. Paul and his epistles, basically either invented or <clears throat> borrowed stuff. Um, there's a document that the church issued, Historicity of the Gospels. It's part of our Catholic faith that we believe what's contained in the Gospels, accurately uh, report what Jesus said and did. Um, but that's a, that's an article of faith. Um, you know, No one's going to be able to prove, because believe me, there's enough enemies of the church over the last 2,000 years 
who, if there was evidence, they would have loved to have found it and used it. But there is no corroborative evidence to show that any of this was pilfered. Um, the fact that people went to their deaths, imagine all those martyrs in the early church and all up until our own, uh, our own day, no one's going to go to death for something that may be fake, that may have been borrowed. Uh, the fact that people died and became saints, uh, you know, believing this is a testimony among itself. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Dante in Mobile, Alabama, Anna in Houston, Texas, and we've got plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. One open line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. As advertised, next we head to Dante in Mobile, Alabama, listening on Archangel Radio. Dante, you're on with Father John. Hey, Father John. How you doing? Fine. <laughs> hey, um, I'm calling. My wife's cousin is getting married uh, in March, and he was baptized Catholic. Um, but after that, he wasn't raised in the faith at all. He was just uh, just baptized Catholic. I'm wondering if it's okay for us to attend um, the wedding ceremony, um, his wedding ceremony. It's, a, it's not in a Catholic church. It's uh, it's I think it's at a, a, a garden ceremony. It, it's somewhere in a garden, I think. But anyway, I, that, that's my question. Okay. Um, he, he's not even... Um portraying himself as a Catholic. He just said he was baptized Catholic, but now he's like nothing, or is he going to another church? Nope. No, he's uh, he was baptized when he was really young, I think like a baby, and he, okay. he just hasn't been raised in the faith. Okay. Because um, technically he's still Catholic, and he's still bound by canonical form, so he needs to be married by a priest or deacon um, or get dispensation from the bishop. But if he's not practicing the Catholic faith... Um, you can certainly be supportive of him and pray for him. Um, it would not be, from our standpoint, a, a valid marriage because uh, he's still Catholic, even though he was only baptized, once baptized, always baptized. Um, but I would say uh, if, if you're not forbidden to go because this is not something where he is flagrantly uh, repudiating the church as would be the case where someone who was baptized, confirmed, first communicated, uh, then all of a sudden decided, no, I'm not going to get married to church because uh, I want to, you know, uh, stick it to the church, so to speak. He's just not a he's a non-practicing, <laughs> non-believing Catholic. Uh, but there's always the hope that he can, you know, repent and maybe, you know, with his um, uh, putative wife, um, you know, come into the church. So I would certainly want you to keep the lines of communication open. Uh, we're certainly not. You're not endorsing it. If you don't uh, just pretend like this is uh, completely normal, I would say, you know, um, if there's any chance, you know, uh, what, what, what religion is his fiance? If, if she's Catholic, um, you said they're getting married by a out in the side or something like that. Um, you know, I, I don't know any of the other details there. But I would go, say you could go, but you need to express at some point uh, verbally or in writing that, you know, please consider continuing your Catholic faith even after this event. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, that helps. All right. 
Thank you, Dante. We appreciate the phone call. Um, next up is Anna in Houston, Texas, a first-time caller listening on Guadalupe Radio. Anna, you're on with Father John. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Father John. Um, my question is this. Um, I'm uh, Because I'm a high school teacher, uh, the question of transhumanism came up, which is the use of technology um, or medical uh, technology to create sort of superhuman abilities um, within mm-hmm. people. And so... Um, I was just hoping for a clear and logical explanation on the Catholic Church's stance on transhumanism. Okay, I don't recall any particular uh, um, document on that particular issue, but I do know that the Church in general, you know, is not opposed to science and technology being used to help um, human um, endeavors. Uh, Certainly, if someone's, uh, you know in terms of healing, uh, getting rid of disease, uh, accentuating uh, particular human abilities. Um, we're always cautious, you know, like people will use steroids to make themselves stronger. They have, um, they'll use different kinds of um, chemicals to stimulate, uh, you know, uh, their intelligence or something like that. There's a caution because we don't want people to see that, you know, that man is uh, able to, reinvent himself or to improve himself beyond what is human nature. Um, You know, there's always that danger that some people want to splice uh, human and animal or they want to combine human and technological cyborgs, things like that. Um, The intrinsic evil is only when this flies against the common good and does not allow for um, the, the belief that there's a God who's a creator the human nature in and of itself is good, and if they're trying to reinvent what it is to be human, that would be wrong. But if you're trying to enhance, um, again, you know, I'm wearing eyeglasses. That's an enhancement. I mean, you know, uh, people were myopic even in the um, Fred Flintstone age. <laughs> uh, it's just that it took a while for us to come up with eyeglasses. I know people who wear um, contact lenses, and my brother Mark, you know, he had radio keratotomy, that laser uh, where they, you know, got rid of his, so he doesn't have to wear glasses or um, contacts. Nothing wrong with that. But with this transhumanism where they're trying to, in a sense, change human nature, uh, that's where I would be concerned. Is that helpful for you, Anna? Um, it is, yes. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate the phone call. A couple of open lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. Plenty of time for your calls at 833 288 3986. Father watching on YouTube today is Leonard, and he wants to know Hi, Father, why are there no saints in the Old Testament? Why are they only in or after Christ? Well, we just don't give them the name saint because the the era that they lived in, heaven was still closed. So until Jesus Christ died on Good Friday and rose on Easter Sunday, there was no way anyone from Adam and Eve all the way to even good St. Joseph uh, could have gotten into heaven. Now, St. Joseph we certainly call saint, and, you know, there's a, a tradition, small-t tradition in the uh, Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Catholic Church that they'll refer to them as St. Adam and St. Eve. It's just not um, uh, something that's common. It's, we're not denying that, they're not, that they are not in heaven. We're just saying that, you know, we want to make that distinction between people who uh, lived during the time of Christ, Anno Domini, as opposed to before Christ. But yes, we consider them holy, and uh, I've even, you know, heard some uh, 
um, litanies that were composed. Uh, you know, they're for private uh, usage only. They're not public, but where you could invoke, uh, you know, prayer, ask for the prayerful intercession of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so forth. Because remember, Jesus himself invokes them, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So we do believe that the good people of the Old Testament got to heaven. Jesus got them in there. We just don't necessarily assign a particular feast day for them on, on in the calendar. And we don't necessarily name a particular church after them, but there's nothing that prohibits that explicitly either. Um, Holly is following us on YouTube and, and building on the conversation we had earlier, and she wants to know, is it true that non-Catholics can marry in Catholic churches if one of the partners is Catholic? Yes, a non-Catholic, like say a Protestant Christian, a Jewish person, a Muslim, anyone can marry a Catholic and get married in the Catholic Church. Um, there's this uh, special permission that's needed if you're marrying someone who's not baptized, because uh, that would be an impediment of disparity of cult, and so the bishop would grant that, which is very easily done through the parish priest or through the deacon um, without that dispensation, because you know the, the church offers uh, that power to, to the bishop. But um, normally speaking, you need two baptized persons for the sacrament to exist. So when it's a baptized Protestant Christian, it's just merely permission to marry uh, a non-Catholic uh, non Christian. But for someone who's not baptized, you need that special dispensation, which again goes through the bishop's office. The priest or deacon takes care of it, but that allows it to be fully uh, recognized uh, by the church. There's never an um, uh, obligation or coercion, I should say, that the non-Catholic become Catholic. And though in the old days, that wasn't always the case. Sometimes the priest said to the non-Catholic, you better convert or you're not going to get married. Uh, you know, that, that was a prudential judgment that was never official uh, in the church. But we certainly in, encourage and offer. If someone wants to become Catholic before their wedding, all the better. Next stop is Charleston, South Carolina. Randy is in South Carolina listening on Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Randy, welcome to the program. You're on with Father John. Hey, Father John. Hi. Hey, Father John. Hi, I can hear you. You hear me? Okay. Um, I'd like to piggyback on what Dante just said, but my, my situation is, that my nephew who's getting married is a practicing Catholic and he's not getting married in the church mm -hmm. or by a Catholic priest. And to be honest with you, Father, I don't really feel comfortable going. Well, I, that's a dis my, I'm glad you said that because unless he gets a special dispensation from the bishop to be married by a non-Catholic minister in a non-Catholic ritual, which they will sometimes do. They will give that dispensation. But if he's just getting married outside the church and, you know, he's just, in a sense, abandoning his faith, that's something you can't countenance, okay? This isn't a case where somebody got baptized as a baby and just never, you know, identified as Catholic. They never were raised in the faith. This is a separate case, and I would say, yes, you should not go, and you should explain to him why uh, you cannot go. And I did read, you know, someplace uh, where that the church would not recognize it, and he wouldn't be able to go to communion. Yes. Um, 
Am I correct on that? Yes. As, if he does not get that special dispensation to be married outside the church uh, by a non-Catholic minister in a non-Catholic state, he is not he's not validly married at that point, and he would need to get the marriage we call convalidated. It's erroneously called having the marriage blessed, but that's not what is happening here. He and his uh, wife, uh, legal wife, would need to um, do their consent before a priest or bishop, which can happen. If I mean, we've had a number of cases where people got married outside the church and then re- you know regretted it, and as long as this was their first marriage for both of them, uh, the priest or deacon is able to have that marriage convalidated, uh, but uh, the way he's going right now, he's putting himself in a situation where he's not able, he's not allowed to receive the sacraments. Then, thanks so much. We appreciate the phone call, Father John. You are number one in the state of Iowa today. Joe is in Polk City, Iowa, <laughs> listening on Iowa Catholic Radio. Joe, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father. Uh, Hi. I had a question in Acts 15. The apostles come together and decide what parts of the law they're going to keep, which was. Uh, you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols, blood, meat from strangled animals, and unlawful marriage. Uh, but then in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says you can eat the meat of uh, uh, meat sacrificed to idols as long as you're not leading others into sin. So I want to know where let the disconnect is there. Okay, well, there was a progression that uh, that took place because remember, in the very, very, very early church, when Jesus established it himself, while well, he was still walking this earth, and he had his 12 apostles, uh, they were all Jews. And, you know, they maintained the Mosaic Law, uh, and so they were like, you know, I, I hate to, you know, they were like Jews for, Je- <laughs> Jews for Jesus. They were Jews who believed Jesus was the Messiah. So they were considered a part of Judaism. They considered themselves as Jewish, but also Jewish in the sense that they also accepted Christ. So you know, that idea that being distinctly and separate as Christians did not take place until the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, Once that took place, you know, but even as you were referring to, um, when a lot of the Gentiles started coming into the faith, that was the big controversy at the Council of Jerusalem. Should they be be, uh, circumcised? Should they obey all the dietary laws? And then St. Peter had that vision where, you know, the food came plopping out of the sky and, you know, all the ham sandwiches and sausages and that and uh you know he said oh no i'm not gonna eat that because i'm you know i'm keeping i'm a good jew and so the church gradually you know expanded it's because that's considered part of of the ecclesiastical law uh so the church is able to make that the, the decision like she did with catholics and eating meat on friday so there was not a particular they didn't sit down and say, okay, we're going to do this, implement this like people do today, like 30 days from now, 90 days from now, or whatever. Uh, this was a gradual awareness and application as more and more Gentiles came in and fewer and fewer Jews um, became Christian. Then, you know, it, it took a little while for that to, to take place. So it's not a contradiction, it's a progression. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Bill writes us, I know we have four different mysteries for the rosary, but would it be okay if, in addition to these four, that I made my own mysteries up for personal use? Well, you certainly can meditate on uh, anything you want to, um, 
I would just say that if you want to call it the rosary, the the, the traditional three that we've we've had the you know the joyful, um, the glorious, and the sorrowful, and then Saint John Paul the Great gave us the the um, luminous ones. That's what the rosary is. Those four compose, but you're not restricted because the Divine Mercy Chapel is prayed on the rosary too. So you could add your own um, meditations on there. It's not forbidden, but you just wouldn't be able to call it a rosary. But if it's going to help you, I mean, uh, I would say, you know, definitely don't. It's not either or. You can do the, the traditional rosary, and in addition to it, you can add your own meditations as well. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. You know, Tuesday nights we uh, are proud to air um, Mother Angelica Live Classics. Uh, We carry the simulcast of the TV program that airs on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. And a really good show tomorrow night. Uh, Father Thomas Dubay of Happy Memory. Uh, EWTN favorite over the decades, is on to discuss his series Bedrock Basics, which covers truth, beauty, conversion, and our destination all in one program. That's Mother Angelica Live Classics tomorrow night at 8 Eastern time right here on EWTN Radio and Television. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Um, sticking with the marriage theme, it's become Marriage Monday here on Open Line. Um, Ron writes in, I have some questions about annulments. Do you need to annul the marriage even if you are not married in a Catholic church or any church? How long does the annulment process last? And can you receive Holy Communion if you do not annul your previous marriage and you remarry? Okay, that's uh, those are all good questions. And to make it as easy as possible... Um, the annulment, okay, is a church judgment from its court that what was thought to be a, a true marriage in actuality was not the sacrament of marriage. So the couple does not have to realize this at the point when it took place. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they do not. Um, let's say um, two Protestants get married. This is their first time for each one of them. Uh, if there was an impediment that they didn't realize was there, that impediment still would, that's what the tribunal would do in looking at, at issuing a decree of nullity. Let's say uh, the, the easiest one is if one or both of them intended not to be faithful, that this not be permanent, and or this not be fruitful, that neither one or only one of them wanted children, that one of those three, all three of them, would render that uh, an invalid um, union. Regardless if they knew that that was, I mean, you know, it's presumed that people know that intuitively uh, when they're getting married. So if one or more or both of them, you know, had any one of those things there, permanence, um, faithfulness, and, <clears throat> and fruitfulness, then the church can render that. Now, if one of them was married previously, that would be uh, something that, you know, the church could use as, as a decree of nullity. The thing is, is that Jesus said, until death. He raised sacrament from a natural level, marriage, to a supernatural level, the sacrament of matrimony. That's why we make that distinction that, you know, two unbaptized persons get married, JP or a rabbi or an imam or something like that or whatever, and then one the, the marriage breaks up, one of them uh, becomes Christian. Uh, there's something called the Pauline privilege where... Uh, the favor of the faith can can take place. 
that can be uh, recognized uh, through the through a local bishop. Uh, there's so many different things they look at uh, in terms of you know due competency, um, you know due deliberation. That's why it takes a little time. Not no annulment is guaranteed. It's not a Catholic divorce. It's a judicial judgment that the sacrament did not take place. Therefore, those two persons are free to marry in the church's consideration for the first time. So it, may take, Mel- it may take up to Ooh, a year or more. Ed is in Melbourne, Florida, and he is listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Ed, you're on with Father John. Good afternoon, Father John. I was wondering, uh, is a Christian who dies and goes to hell still a Christian? And I'm, I'm thinking about it from the terms of, I know that a baptized person, by virtue of the baptism, is called a Christian, and, mm-hmm. and that the, ba- the seal of baptism is indelible, and I understand that even, even in hell, that seal will still be there. But I'm wondering if we still regard that person as a Christian, because are, would they be separated from the body of Christ in hell? Yes, um, they are still considered Christian in the sense that because of that indelible mark, that's made on the soul. They once a Christian, always a Christian. But obviously, they're not a practicing Christian. And uh, those damned who are in hell, um, you know, whatever religion they were when they got, uh, when they condemned themselves. Basically, uh, that's what they retain in in the afterlife. But they're obviously not practicing it. You can't undo your your Christianity, even though you can not practice it anymore. You could repudiate it. Um, you know, if you want to verbally or legally, uh, in the eyes of the world, but uh, you know, ontologically speaking, you're still you're you're always Christian. Okay. Um, now the the point is that you're not automatically you don't get a get, get out of jail free card because you were Christian. Um, you know, you're, you're liable to the same commandments as as everyone. So, yeah, ontologically, you know, there there's Christians, there's Catholics, there's popes, <laughs> bishops, priests. In hell, like uh, other people. And, um, oops, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate the phone call, Ed. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, um, anonymous, we got an anonymous email that would like to know is it immoral for a married Catholic couple that already has several children to use natural flam- family planning to try and not have any more children? No. Um, that's because you're using the natural family plan. That's what it's called family planning. Okay. Your openness that if, you know, and it's not that if you're not doing it properly, but there's this implicit openness that if God has other designs, you know, uh, bless you with a child, you're not frustrating about using artificial means to prevent it. You're using natural means to plan out your family. And so if you say at this point, we can only afford seven kids or there's health issues involved with, with the mother or whatever, you can use NFP and say, okay, we're, we're going to try to, um, you know, plan our family accordingly. It's morally acceptable. It's only when you frustrate that to the point where you say, well, we positively, actively don't want any kids and we won't accept any. Uh, then, then that's where you, you, you cross the line. And very quickly, we'll head to Carol in St. Louis, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio. Carol, just a couple minutes left with Father John. What's your question today? Um. Father, uh, the um, I, I recently heard that Pope Francis had given faculties to the priests of the Society of St. Pius X to witness marriages, 
And I was wondering if um, the marriages that were performed there before uh, faculties were given, if they would now have to be convalidated. And would that be by the SSPX? Or just, uh, I don't thoroughly understand this. Thing. Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, my understanding is that, uh, you know, those that permission from the Pope was, was a limited time and only occurred when, in that time frame. Anything that was retroactive, obviously the Pope can convalidate. It's called a, a Sanatio Rati chain, which the, the, the Pope or, the, or a bishop can retroactively apply that uh, in some instances. Um, but normally speaking, uh, for you to be valley married, uh, you know, for this to be recognized as a Catholic sacrament, uh, the priest who's doing, or the deacon, who's witnessing uh, the nuptials has to have the proper delegation. He has to have um, the jurisdiction to do that. That's why I, as a priest, can't just go anywhere I want and just marry a couple. Uh, if I'm not from that diocese, I need not just permission, I need delegation. Otherwise, it's not valid. Um, the Pius X Society, the Pius V Society, some other uh, groups that are not in, in full communion with, with the church don't have those delegations. So Pope Francis extended that all right, but I think it's a limited time thing. It wasn't in perpetuity. Um, whether or not it's it, it, it's applicable retroactively, I would say you still need to check with the local ordinary, the local bishop of that diocese. Is that helpful for you, Carol? That's that's good. All right, very good. Thank you so much. We appreciate the phone call. And Father John, hard to believe, but another hour has flown past us. Wow. And uh, we have reached the, the end of the program. We thank everybody for uh, calling in with your questions today or sending us emails. And Father John, would you leave us with a blessing? Absolutely. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, Ephilios, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Charles Beery, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for starting your week with a little bit of EWTN's open line. Uh, back at it tomorrow, Father Wade Menezes is in the house talking faith, family, and fellowship. Until we get together tomorrow on Open Line Tuesday, God bless.